Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, and this is a special 2019 NFL season preview spectacular podcast. I just sort of invented that name, but I think you're going to find out that this is pretty spectacular this week because I've got three guests and I've got all of my season picks and a cool announcement for you. But first, my guest this week. New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees, holder of all records, all major records mostly by the uh, by NFL quarterbacks. Uh, I had a good conversation with him at training camp in Metairie, Louisiana in August. Also, Freddie Kitchens, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and uh, I talked to Kitchens at training camp also in Berea, Ohio, And uh, I think he is much more of an interesting and an offensive guru type guy than everybody would give him credit for. We're going to talk about that. And then finally, I'm going to have Juju Smith-Schuster, who, uh, for my money, is one of the most interesting characters in football today and one of the most interesting people in sports in an era when it is so important to have your social profile, your social media profile expanding out in the world. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the Steelers without Antonio Brown. So those are my three of my favorite conversations from my training camp trip, and you're going to hear them all today as you get fired up for the start of the NFL's 100th season. Now, couple of things before we get going. Um, I made my uh, picks for the 2019 season, and I basically picked the two losers of the AFC and NFC championship games last year to meet for uh, Super Bowl 54 in Miami on February 2nd. I've got Kansas City beating New Orleans uh, in the Super Bowl come February. Not a lot of really deep and dark reasons why, because so much can happen during the course of the season, uh, and injuries obviously will tell a big tale. I just don't see the rest of the NFL very quickly catching up with Patrick Mahomes. I think he's going to have a superior year. He has so much speed now that they've added McCole Hardman. Um, to uh, They've got three receivers probably who will be in the game simultaneously pretty often this year uh, in Sammy Watkins, McCole Hartman, and Tyreek Hill. Three receivers who run under 4.35 40s. Uh, so I really like them. I think their defense is going to be good enough. I think Steve Spagnolo being the new defensive coordinator. Uh, I think they're going to miss Justin Houston, don't get me wrong. But I do think that uh, adding Frank Clark is going to take some of the sting away from the Houston and D. Ford losses. Um, I I like Kansas City and the AFC. And I like New Orleans. Uh, and I, I wrote in my column that uh, obviously they, uh, they were jobbed in the, uh, in the, in the NFC championship game. 
uh, by the non-pass interference call. But I just think now the New Orleans defense is more than capable of holding its own and holding teams to 22, 24 points a game consistently in the NFL this year. And what that means to me, I believe, is that this is not going to just be a team where Drew Brees is going to have to score, outscore people with 35, 38 points every game. I think the defense uh, is going to be nearly an equal partner with the Saints this year. Uh, my division picks. Uh, obviously, I'm going to pick Kansas City in the West. I'm picking Indianapolis. I think Jacoby Brissett will be uh, more than adequate for the Colts in succeeding Andrew Luck as quarterback. I like Pittsburgh in the AFC North. I like New England, obviously, in the AFC East. Uh, I like the Chargers in Houston as the fifth and sixth playoff seeds. In the NFC, I like New Orleans to win the uh, NFC South. I like Philadelphia to win the East, Green Bay, the North, in an upset over Chicago. And I like the Rams to win the West. Uh, probably my playoff upset pick, I've got Chicago the fifth seed. And my playoff upset pick is going to be San Francisco getting the sixth seed over Dallas and Seattle. And it isn't that I don't like Dallas and Seattle. It's just that I really think this year that Jimmy Garoppolo is finally going to show he's a top 10 NFL quarterback. And... Uh, the 49ers are going to break through in year three of Kyle Shanahan. So those are my playoff picks. Uh, just a couple other thoughts in the news and a couple of other thoughts about what has happened uh, in a very, very busy weekend uh, that transpired on the last weekend before the start of the season. You know, an awful lot has been said about the acquisition of Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle, by the Houston Texans, and by the Texans jettisoning uh, Jadavian Clowney to the Seattle Seahawks uh, for a couple of players and a third-round draft choice. Obviously, I don't think that they got significant compensation for Jadavian Clowney, but where this was lost was before July 15th when if you see that you're not going to be able to sign Clowney, that is the time where the Texans should have made significant efforts to trade him uh, and to try to get somewhere close to fair market value for a bright young pass rusher. Now, I am not in the it, among those who think that Jadavian Clowney is a top five, uh, you know, weapon in the NFL on defense. Um, he's been a good but not great pass rusher. He has not had a 10-sack season yet in his career. Um, and I'm not saying that he won't turn out to be a great player. But I think he has been a good to very good player and not a great one. And I think that hurt uh, Houston trying to get fair market value for him um, at any point uh, before July 15th. About the trade that sent Laramie Tunsil from Miami to Houston. The thing that bothers me about this is not the compensation. Everybody is going crazy over the fact that the, the Texans traded uh, two first-round picks and a second to get Tunsil and, um, uh, uh, to get Tunsil and Kenny Stills, the wide receiver. Um, just remember two things about this. Number one, where the Texans will be picking is likely going to be in the middle of the round or lower. So let's just say that they're going to pick 20th in the first round each of the next two years. I will tell you that if I'm a general manager of a team and I could trade two first round picks in the 20s for a 25-year-old left tackle who's going to play for your team theoretically for the next 10 years, I would do it in a second. Uh, Kenny Stills essentially plus, uh, you know, is a plus in this because he is a guy who in six NFL seasons has only missed two games due to injury. 
I think that is being lost in this and forgotten in this. Um, I think he's a reliable, good, not great NFL receiver, but a good second or third receiver on most teams in the NFL. Um, so I, I think it has been uh, – I would disagree with those who say that this is an awful trade. Where I don't like the trade is the fact that uh, Houston could have said to the agent for Laramie Tunsil, hey, you have to give us uh, – you have to let us negotiate a new contract uh, and we need to sign this guy for five years or else we're not going to make this deal. What I'm hearing is that the Houston Texans did not do this, and it can be a cliche that they didn't have a general manager, so they didn't get this done. But in my opinion, without having a general manager to alert them for such things, uh, this was a major faux pas by Houston. But this is a team that is going to be better opening night in New Orleans on Monday because they've got Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. It's significant upgrade for the Texans, whose biggest weakness uh, had been the offensive line. So those are a few thoughts there. Um, I would just make two other very quick announcements for you before we get into our uh, conversations leading off the NFL season. Um, I would uh, strongly recommend that you listen to Chris Sims' Un Unbuttoned podcast this week. He's going to pick all of his playoff teams uh, on this podcast. And I've got a little bit of a surprise for you. I'm going to tell you more about this at the end of this podcast. But every Monday at 5.15 a.m. Eastern, I'm going to drop a mini podcast, a mini Football Morning in America podcast, sort of a Cliff's Notes version of my Football Morning in America podcast, and it'll be dropped at NBCSports.com. I'll tweet it out from my account at Peter underscore King, and it'll be tweeted out from the NBC Sports Twitter handles. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we get to the end of the podcast. But I did want to just tell you that I'm really excited about sort of expanding what I do um, in uh, you know on Monday mornings. And hopefully you'll be able to listen to that in addition to uh, reading Football Morning in America every Monday. So let's start this week's pod uh, with a conversation I had in Metairie, Louisiana with Drew Brees, the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. Really happy to be joined by Drew Brees, um, who, you know, is entering the fifth decade of his life looking like he may one day enter the sixth decade of his life playing football. But, Drew, we're, we're sitting here at your training facility on a day at, at training camp, and I have to tell you, you look no different than you looked the first day I ever saw you in San Diego throwing a football. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think I have a little bit less hair <laughs> <laughs> than back then, but uh, I, I, feel, I feel relatively the same. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit more experience, maybe a little more wisdom, but about the same. Yeah. So do you, you know, you sort of watch Brady. I asked Matt Ryan the other day in Atlanta, how, how much more will you play? Do you, do you look at yourself like Brady and Breeze? And he said, I will play until they take me off the field. And he goes, what is so good for us now is the way the game is being officiated they understand we really want the quarterbacks to play 16 weeks. When you think of the longevity of your position, do you think that that has been a big factor over recent history? I'm, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. Um, we, we, still, we still get hit, but, but, but maybe we don't get hit quite like the guys did back, uh, back at, before the, 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 the favorable rule changes. You yeah. Know? Um, I think, I th listen, I think the league has done a very good job over the last few years of making the necessary rule changes to make this game safer, just really to protect the guys that are not in positions to protect themselves, right, which quarterbacks being back there um, in the pocket um, were in that position. Uh, receivers running across the middle are in that position. And so um, in light of 
the head and neck injuries and, and TBI and things that we've seen from former players, I think that we recognize that you know that's that's a part of the game that we we need to make sure that we 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 change for the better, for the safer, um, to allow for I think the longevity and also for the comfort level for a lot of young kids coming up to, to, to feel comfortable being able to transition to the game at some point too. Do you think this offseason you added anything to your regimen for either physical fitness slash longevity, you know, anything for sort of a positive physical uh, addition to you? Okay. You're, you'll like this one. Yeah. Um, I spent this entire offseason playing with my kids in the backyard, okay? So you're going to ask me, so what does that have to do with the question that you just asked? Um, me sitting there throwing wiffle balls to my kids, throwing tennis balls to my kids, running around playing soccer with them, just, you know, throwing them in the pool every which way, right? Um, How old are your kids now? They're 10, 8, 6, or my boys, and my little girl is 4. Um, That's pretty good symmetry. Yeah, it is. We, Ten, we, we, eight, we, six, we, we spaced that up about well, yeah. right? My wife nursed for a year, and then she got pregnant, and then she stopped <laughs> nursing. So um, that's pretty much the way it went for all of them. But um, just, just maintaining those types of skill sets. When I was a kid, I played every sport, okay? Every sport, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, track, tennis, you name it. I feel like all, playing all those sports as a kid has helped attribute – I attribute that to my ability to play quarterback for this long. There are skill sets that I develop playing all those sports that I utilize on this football field playing the quarterback position. And I could spend hours sitting here going through every one of them. But still doing those things now with my kids, it's kind of like I'm going back to being a kid again myself. And I'm just, I'm just pulling all those skill sets, right, from all those different Did sports. Did you do this consciously? Well, I did it because I just being a father to my kids, right? Right. I just want to be out there doing it with them. But I recognize that by doing that, I truly feel like I'm helping my career. I feel like that is part of the longevity piece, is just continuing to draw from the skill sets from all the other sports that I've played my whole life and how it applies to making me a better quarterback. That's really, really interesting. Do you find yourself at the end of the day, because I know there have been studies for you know parents who stay at home with their kids at the end of a day people have figured out how much they've run how much they've moved getting up going down and how strenuous it is to spend a day chasing your kids around do you believe that that helped you in a in it all a physical fitness kind of way and all the different movements I, I don't, I'm not one that sits there and like counts my steps or counts right. my calories or doing anything like that. Like I'm conscious with what I eat. I'm conscious with how I sleep, um, how I recover after a tough training regimen. But I'm, I'm really in tune with my body. And so I know when it's time to push and I know when it's time to shut it down, right, and recover. And just call that you know, 19 years of professional sports where I just, I just know my body that well. Do you think that the care and feeding of your body and of quite a few older quarterbacks is changing to the point where it's quite possible that you could play to your 45 years old at a high level? Absolutely. Yeah. I do. I do. Um, I think obviously what Brady's been able to accomplish and what he just turned 42 or 42, about, about to turn yeah. 42, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> look at his resume and <laughs> you, you, you don't need to look any further. Um, and certainly the way that he's continuing to play at a high level. I, you know, I, I feel like there's, um, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly the things that Tom's doing, but I do know that he approaches it very much the same way that I do, I, I, I believe. And, um, Call it, call it uh, the information that we have now that maybe we didn't have 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Obviously, that plays a big role into it. Listen, sleep, nutrition, and recovery play such a huge role. What's your sleep such story? A huge this role. is the thing that is changing so much over the last three or four sleep? years. Yeah. Tell me about your sleep habits. Well, um, 
I, I, there's some people that need more sleep than others, right? I mean, so you got to know your body. But I, I've kind of, I've got that down. You know, I'm seven, seven and a half hours of sleep a night, and I'm good. I, I really don't need more than that. You know what I Justin Verlander says? Huh. He's preaching the gospel of ten-hour sleep nights to the Houston Astros. So, so maybe that maybe that works for him. You know? Yeah. Um, and some guys I think do need that, right? Um, but for me, I feel like this. The it's almost like the the harder I train, and then the better that I do work on my recovery, you know, uh, as a result of that training, and then the better that I eat, the less sleep I need. Um, so I feel like those things work hand in hand. I think there's a balance there. But, man, I'm programmed. I'm like a clock. Like, I, I start getting tired at the same time every night, and then my body gets me up at the same time every morning, and it's just a routine. It's just a structure. It's a routine, and that's, that's the way I've programmed my body. When you realize that you have thrown for more yards than any quarterback in the history of the National Football League, and the league is 100 years old. When you hear that, do you say, oh my God, I am not worthy? Or do you just say, oh my God, this is incredible? What do you think? Yeah, I don't even know if I've fully absorbed that yet. <laughs> you know, even though that happened almost a year ago, I really don't know if I fully absorbed that yet. I. I just, I can still, I can still remember walking into Miami's Joe Robbie Stadium at the time in my very first season, my very first preseason game in 2001, and looking at Dan Marino's statistics in the Ring of Honor, and that was truly the the first NFL stadium that I had walked into in in you know about to play, and to see all of those statistics, and at, at the time he had all those records. And just sit there and go, my goodness, how do you play that long? <laughs> how do you even sniff those numbers? Like, that's just yeah. crazy. You know, at the time, I'm just hoping that someday I can be a starting quarterback in this league, right? Yeah. Um, and you just, I don't know, you just put your head down and you play and you play because you love it and you have fun and you enjoy the camaraderie and the teammates and you love to compete. And then, you know, the years just kind of start to stack and, you have some success and you, success, you make some Pro Bowls, you make the playoffs, maybe you go win a Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden they're talking about you're about to go out and break one of those records. And you're like, how did this happen? Yeah. How did we get here? I don't know. It's, it's almost like you've enjoyed the process so much. If you ever really kind of sit back and think, does that really do any good? I mean, does that help you accomplish the next thing, especially because you're all about <laughs> the next thing? Yeah, I um. I really, I really, especially in this stage of my career, I really just try to stay in the moment. Yeah, that's I mean, good. I, I don't, there was a period of time up until about three years ago where I just, I didn't even think about the end. I felt like it was going to last forever. Yeah. You know, you just kind of went from one season to the next. Um, and maybe they all just kind of ran together a little bit. But about three years ago, I began to realize, okay, I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. Yeah. And I just... When I walk away from the game, I don't want to have any regrets. I want to move on to the next chapter and just, man, approach that with the same type of passion and energy and enthusiasm as I have my football career. But I don't want to look back and say, man, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more. I wish I would have. So I said, you know what? I am truly going to just live in the moment. And I am going to enjoy each and every day and each and every road trip and each and every opportunity in the locker room, maybe laugh a little bit more, maybe enjoy it a little bit more, just – Man, I, I, I want to enjoy every second. And I feel like by taking that approach, I just, it's, it's heightened my level of appreciation, my sense of urgency, my overall enjoyment, and the success. I mean, look, you know, the, the, we've won a lot of games taking that approach. And so I like that approach. And that's, appro <laughs> it, that's the it approach. Works. That's the, the approach <laughs> I'm going to continue to take until I hang it up. Who, who, who can argue with you? I got. Two other things. Will there ever be a Senator Drew Brees? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to close the door on anything. Um, and we'll see. Because you care about a lot of things. I do. You're very active in the in – the, you've been very active at times in the NFL. You speak out when you see injustice. So I, I, I just wonder about that. I would strongly consider something like that. You say politics. I would, I would, I would strongly consider politics at some point. 
Um, I feel like there's, there's benchmarks. There's things in my life that I want to accomplish. And so many of them are, 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 are personal development type things. They're challenges that I see that I say to myself, I, I, I want to accomplish that. You know, I want to work towards that because I feel like that's, that's part of my own personal development. That's going to make me a better person in some way. Maybe it's something that I really don't know a whole lot about, but I feel like I need to know more about that. So I need to pursue that. I need to accomplish that. I got a couple of these things in my mind that I want to continue to, to work towards in my next chapter. And then we'll see where that takes me. But I'm, I'm, But you think I'm it's not. still multiple years down the road. You, you, would you like to play for two, three, four, however many more you, that you can? I'm anticipating that, but I'm yeah. just taking it one Take year, a year at a time. At a time. Um, when I was in Jets camp, I talked to Sam Darnold, and we finished, and he said, Peter, I really enjoy when you do on your podcast the quarterback conversations you have. You know, I went back and I listened to all of your quarterback conversations. And so I just started to think, when I talk to quarterbacks on this trip, I'm going to say, Sam Darnold's 22 years old. So it's sort of like, what advice would you give to your younger self? What advice would you give to Sam Darnold when he listens to this podcast? To... So, so much of our league is about the results, right? Um, we are in a results-driven business. But truly, it is about the process. If you focus on the process, the result takes care of itself. And so just simply that, develop what your process is, focus on that process, and too many times we get frustrated or we get down on ourselves or we begin to press because the result didn't match up with the process. But if you just focus on the process, eventually you get to the point where good process will consistently equal good result. We'll end with this. People say to me sometimes, hey, what is that guy Drew Brees like? And I tell them about a story that I once went, uh, I reported a story of you for HBO Sports, for Inside the NFL. This was eight or 10 years ago. You were here. You were doing great. Everybody, you were playing well. And I was going to take a walk with you in Audubon Park, okay, with your dog. And we were walking, and all of a sudden, your dog poops right there on the ground. And we went to pick it up, my producer, Bentley Weiner, and we, we were going to pick it up. You said, no, no, that's not going to happen. I'll take care of this. I take care of my own dog. So I said... This is a guy who insists on cleaning up after his dog. I kind of think it's an apocryphal story. You'll take care of yourself in a totally weird way. The strangest question you've had as a quarterback in the NFL. What does that story say about you? Well, it's... I, I, you know, it, it, it makes me feel like... That was, that's the way I'm raised, and that's the way I'm, that's what I'm trying to impart on my kids as well, is that you, you know, you, if you break it, you fix it, right? If you mess it up, you clean it up, right? You, you be a solutions per, 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 person. Don't be a problems person, right? Always, if, if I, if it's my mess, I'm going to clean up. And you know what, even if it's not my mess, if it's something that needs to be done, then I'll, I'll be the one to do it, right? And so, I don't know, maybe that's just a... a a, a bit of a, an assertive mentality or a um, just do the right thing. Uh, that's just, that's the way do I Do you remember raised. telling us to get out of the way yeah, and go to clean yeah, it up? Yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. Yeah. My, that producer, Bentley Weiner, still is at HBO. When I talked to her occasionally, she said, remember that time when Breeze had to clean up after his dog? He wouldn't let us do it. And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, now I try to get my kids to clean up the dog poop, and they won't do it. So that's a constant battle. But yeah. that's a whole other story. Drew Brees, thanks a lot. Have a great year. Hope you have five more. Thank you. My thanks to Drew Brees. And now let's move to Berea, Ohio, for the rookie head coach, the surprising rookie head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Freddie Kitchens. I have to ask you, we're here at your training facility in Berea, Ohio. Is it at all still weird to be introduced as an NFL head coach after all your years where you wanted to be that so much and now it finally has happened? I wouldn't say it's weird. It's, um, you definitely 
catch yourself sometimes realizing that, you know, hey, I've got to make the decisions on the parking lot or <laughs> the seating chart on the plane. So yeah. those moments, you know, uh, but, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns have been nothing but great uh, from the standpoint of everybody here is wanting to support me, the coaching staff, and anything they can do for the players um, to enable us to be s successful. You're a guy who loves football history, and I wonder, do you realize what a great coach Paul Brown was and all of the stuff that he did for the future of the game and the history of the game in the 100th season of professional football? Have you studied him at all? Do you know anything about Paul Brown and his history? Well, I know he uh, how he ended up in – I know he started at Ohio State, I believe, and uh, – uh, won a championship at Ohio State, came here and won championships. And then, uh, I don't know if I should say this or not, but for whatever reason, ended up in Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I love the fedora. Uh, I love the, the coat. Wouldn't um, you love to wear regular clothes on the sidelines, like a suit with a fedora, and look like Tom Landry or Paul Brown? Hey, uh, I love the look. But I played for Gene Stalling, so he wore a coat and tie. Uh, on the sidelines, so I'm kind of used to that. But uh, <laughs> I'd have to worry too much about fitting into it every week. So, <laughs> so Freddie, a couple of things about your history that really interest me. You were a grad assistant in the year 2000 on Nick Saban's coaching staff. What do you remember about that season? What do you remember, and what lessons do you take from Nick Saban? Well, there's a lot I could take from Nick Saban uh, that I did take from Nick Saban, but uh, – I think the organizational skills that he has is like unprecedented. Um, he knows what's going on in every aspect of his program. Uh, there's never going to be a surprise to him. And if there is, it's going to get rectified. Um, so, you know, having a grasp, now that's different than having control. All right, of course he has control, but that's different than uh, I don't mean by not letting people do their job. He does that. Uh, he just wants to know what's going on. And so that kind of woke me up of how significant the role is in general, um, how you're kind of responsible for everything. And, uh, you know, I think he's one of the best at kind of managing uh, different personalities and, and different, um, you know, situations. Um, you know, now that, again, that was the first experience I had with it. So uh, it was definitely a great one. But the succession of coach, uh, coaches that I had, I think, was critical at the time period that I had them. Uh, I don't think I would have gotten as much, say, from Sylvester Croom if I'd have had um, Coach Croom first, you know. But I gathered things from him at Mississippi State that I knew what to look for. I knew what good uh, leadership was. I knew what good people skills were um and then you know going from there to coach parcells just you know so for people who don't know in 2006 you coached for bill parcells and you coached tight ends right you had a young tight end named jason witten so you not only got the experience with parcells but you also saw what it was like to work and be great as a as a tight end uh, no doubt and i tell people all the time that uh you know Learning from Coach Farcells was great as far as learning how to handle different people. You've got people from all over the, the country uh, with different backgrounds, and you have to be able to talk to each one of them to get to know them, to earn their trust, to ask them to do difficult things in difficult situations, all right? Or they're not going to do it to successfully unless you earn their trust. But from Jason Witten, I tell people all the time, I learned more from him than I could ever think about teaching someone he taught me what an NFL player looks like he taught me how an NFL player prepares uh, and I'm forever indebted for him we became friends of course uh, and all that kind of stuff but uh, the value system that he taught me that a player has um, was unheard of I I, co I covered the New York Giants for a newspaper for four years in the 80s, and so I watched Parcells. The interesting thing about Parcells 
is that, first of all, he had a great coaching staff. He had Ron Earhart on offense, who's really an underrated offensive guy, and he had Bill Belichick on defense. So he used to think that one of his most valuable times of day was about maybe 7.30 to 8.15 in the morning when he could go in the locker room and find out exactly what was going on. He goes from Phil McConkie to find out what's going on over there, Mark Bavaro, Harry Carson, Andy Head, and Phil Sims. And he feels like by the time he goes back up to his office, he's got a good handle. Okay, here are my problems today. Here's my situations today. And I always thought that that is really an underrated part of coaching. You don't want to be their friend, right. but you want to find out exactly what's going on. Uh, let me tell you, I mean, trust is a big deal in our business. This is a people business. Uh, they have to trust me for me to ask them to do things they may not want to do. Uh, one piece of advice he gave me is be accessible. You know, be around. Be around in a weight room when they're working out. Make sure they know how important. They may not know how important it is for you, for, the, for them to be working out, unless they see you down there. All right? They see me in the special team meetings. They see me in the weight room with them. They see me around. So be accessible. You have to be, before you can talk to anybody, you have to be accessible. So did you, you, did, be he ever, did he ever talk to you about the temperature that it ought to be in the trainer's room? Uh, I know it's supposed to be cold, right? Yeah, 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 because you <laughs> don't, don't want exact, people hanging around there. Yeah, I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know the exact temperature. I could probably get that information with one phone call, but uh, I think we, we may need to turn the temperature down some then here. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Freddie Kitchens, head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So I want to ask you a couple of things about last year. Okay, as we could have sat here a year ago at this time, you would have been the most anonymous guy in this building. The running backs coach hired by Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator, and Hugh Jackson. You come in here, and you're just a run-of-the-mill average position coach with everybody else. No one has really has any idea that much about who you are or, or, or anything. And then when the upheaval happens and you get the job, in my opinion, I'll tell you what really surprised me. You talk almost like you're a, kind of a southern drawl, good old boy. Uh, I'm a football coach from Alabama, and I'm going to coach like all football coaches from Alabama. Three yards in a cloud of dust, and maybe I'll, I'll run heavy more than anybody else in football. But I remember when you got the job as coordinator, I look up one day, and you run this, the weirdest formation I saw all season in the NFL. You ran a quarterback in shotgun and three running backs in a bunch in the backfield. Okay, I think it was against Atlanta, but I forget. Who, who, was, it, who was it against? Well, we did it a couple times. Yeah. We did it against Cincinnati, Atlanta. Um, but you, the time I'm yeah. talking about, I think you the ran it. The first time was against Atlanta, okay. yeah. I think you ran it three plays in a row, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. We did, but it ended up on in an interception. Oh, it did. But <laughs> the three plays, I think, yeah. gained nine, six, and 17 yards. Right. Right? Yeah. And so I said to myself, well, maybe we got the wrong Freddie Kitchens here. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, we just were, you know, you don't want to make, uh, you don't want to assume because that makes an ass out of you and me. But yeah. just tell me a little bit. I want to know about that and then about, about how – your offensive mind works a little bit well i think uh the first thing i would say is just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it doesn't work you just have to have the uh, well i don't know what i can say and what i can't say here but <laughs> you just have to have the uh guts to to yeah. call it you, you have to have balls. the guts it's to, okay. you have to have the you have to have the uh the lack of fear yeah. to call it and do it. And you have to be able to teach it. You have to have answers for those guys that are actually going out and doing it. Um, so fear has never been like in my vocabulary, I don't think. Yeah. So, um, you know, we thought it was a good idea, so we did it. You also, as I recall, I forget what game it was, you ran 13 personnel like five, 15 times or something, a, right. a bunch of snaps. And that's a three tight end system, which – Hardly anybody. I mean, maybe on the goal line you might see it with a couple of big body tight ends. But so you, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're probably not really afraid of doing anything in terms of scheme-wise. I like to um, I like to gain yards because yards mean points. Um, if you convert and you're good in situational football. So uh, whatever will get us down the field just a little bit further, I'll do. 
Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter to me if somebody's seen it or somebody thinks I'm crazy. I don't care. I know I'm crazy. So Over the years, your influences were all over the board on offense. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say it's definitely fair to say. Yeah. You know, I was with uh, Jimbo Fisher at LSU. I was with uh, Daryl Dickey, which if you want to figure out how to run the ball, talk to Daryl Dickey yeah. uh, at North Texas. And then I went with Sylvester Croom at Mississippi State. Uh, now, we weren't the offensive juggernaut at Mississippi State. Uh, then went to Dallas and was around some, a great coaching staff in Dallas. And, and the late Tony Sperano, Todd Haley, Mike Zimmer, Anthony Lynn, Todd Bowles, all these guys were on the staff there. Um, and then went to, uh, with, with Ken Wisenhunt in Arizona and then Bruce Arians, and now I'm here. So I've had some good mentors along the way. But, again, the succession that I had those mentors was the key, I think. I thought it was really interesting last year after you beat Denver, we had a conversation on uh, the Saturday night game um, and you beat him. And I said, why do you think you have been, uh, you and Baker have been good together? And he was struggling in the first half of the season, obviously. So what have you found about him? And the first words out of your mouth is, was Baker is starved for knowledge. Right. So tell me about working with him and how does that how does that show itself in the course of a day, in the course of a week? Well, when someone asks questions, that, that means they're, uh, they're, they're not comfortable with their knowledge or they're wanting more knowledge. Um, and he is, he's excellent at that on a day-in and day-out basis. He's always looking to get better. Um, and you, you feel very uh, happy and very uh, rewarded to coach people like that. I want to ask you just a little bit about you approaching this season with this tremendous uh, explosion of attention onto the Cleveland Browns. You know, they haven't been good for so long, and now all of a, all of a sudden you trade for Odell Beckham Jr. You got Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, in his second year. And I, I just, I'm curious, what about the attention part of the job and the the, the Kleeg lights on you every day. As I said, you know, a year ago, you were just a guy going to work every day. So how has that aspect of the job been for you? Well, when you pull through the gate out front here, it, it has a statement that says, out of yourself and into the team. All right. So if everybody will do that and recognize the fact that all that hype and all those expectations will not determine our success or our failure. It's going to be determined by the guys in that locker room and the coaching staff putting those guys in good situations and then them going out and executing. But the accountability that they have between each other will determine uh, the expectations, not yeah. the outside world. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about the statement you made during training camp, basically that we will not have any leaks in this building. Yeah. We are shutting it up. If I find out you're leaking, you're gone. And A, what prompted that? What caused that? And why do you feel so strongly about that? Well, I wouldn't care to elaborate on what caused that. Um, but I know this, that everything we do here is going to be built on trust, loyalty, and respect. And if you're doing that, I don't know if I have any of those three. Um, could have been in the past, could be prevented for the future, uh, could be present even, I guess. But it doesn't matter when. If it happens, uh, I don't think you can – you can't get to where you want to go and how things like that happen. You can't tell me uh, – give me an example of people in your building that are doing things like that and you're successful. You can't do it. So – because they don't trust, they don't respect, and they don't have any loyalty to anybody if they're doing that. We'll end with this. Give me one example that you have seen and that maybe America hasn't seen of Odell Beckham Jr. and why you're <laughs> glad he's on the team. You didn't just see it? I missed it. What? Yeah. I mean, he came in and did some kind of right out the door there and was doing some kind of split thing or something. <laughs> um, I think it's one of their new age dances or something. But yeah. You mean you don't um, do those? No. Yeah. Not in the building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say this. Um, 
Peter, I don't. I try not to judge people off what other people say. I judge on what I see, um, and he's a prime example of that. He hasn't done anything except work his ass off here, and uh, in the book, on the field, in the weight room, in the training room. You know, so that's what I'm going off of. I don't care what anybody else says about him. He's a he's a Cleveland Brown now, all right. So that's what we're going to judge him off of is what he's done here. Um, nothing else. Nothing else matters. Um, you know, we're going to air this interview um, the Wednesday before the regular season in sort of a special podcast I'm doing. So people at NBC asked me, let's talk about the people on your training camp trip who you're going to talk to and who you want to get on your big podcast before the season. And I said, I want to get Christian McCaffrey because I think he's a totally fascinating guy and he might be the future of offensive football. I said, I want to get Drew Brees because he's always really interesting and I think the Saints might win the Super Bowl. And I want to get Freddie Kitchens because there isn't a more interesting story in 2019 than Freddie Kitchens and the Cleveland Browns. So I guess I'll just say good luck to you and, and hope it all works out. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I appreciate. I hope this brought as much luck as that Denver uh, talk that we had. <laughs> we did, yeah. Yes, sir. Freddie, thanks a lot. Hey, appreciate it, Peter. Okay. All right. Some enlightening stuff there from the, the new coach of the Cleveland Browns, Freddie Kitchens, and our thanks to him. And now – Let's go to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where I spent about a half hour one day in training camp with Juju Smith-Schuster, who's really one of the compelling stories in the NFL this year. It's going to be really, really fun to watch him grow as a player and off the field in his uh, all of his various social media platforms. Here is Juju Smith-Schuster. We're sitting here with Juju Smith-Schuster now at Steelers training camp. You're going to hear some noise, and that's because about every 15 seconds, a golf cart is going to drive by with players on it. So that's what's called ambient sound. We apologize, but it sort of gives you a feel of what it sounds like in Latrobe, Pennsylvania during camp. Coming off a 111-catch season, the Steelers' most valuable player, and I believe the age of 22, you did all this. Does it ever get to you? And do you ever, does it ever occur to you? Holy cow, I'm just a kid. I just caught 111 balls in the NFL. Uh, I mean, you know, growing up, I mean, I, I, you know, my dream was to play in the NFL. And I, and I had the opportunity to do that. I didn't, where I look at myself at today, I didn't see this coming. You know, I would never expect me to be have this, this much uh, success at a young age. But... You know, with the guys, you know, on my team and, you know, playing with Ben, you know, dreams come true. And, he, you know, you make those 11, 111 catches and a lot more. I'll tell you the most impressed I was with you last year. It was when you dropped a ball in New Orleans. And after the game, either the day after or that night, you wrote this tweet. Because that ball that you dropped was in a crucial point of the game. The Saints won the game. If you had caught the ball pretty good chance the Steelers would have won that game. Here's what you tweeted after the game. When I'm at my lowest point, I'm not going to hide. I'm sorry. That loss was on me. I let everyone down. It won't happen again. Tell me about that moment in your life and why you responded the way you did. Um, I mean, obviously, you you think about so many uh, players out there. I mean, you think about the great players, you know, it's adversity, you know, that we all go through some stuff or, you know, whether we could have, you know, won the game or lose or we lose the game, you know, for the team. And at that moment, you know, I didn't want to hide or, you know, didn't want to like not post or, you know, just hide, you know, from the media or the people. You know, I, I, I own up to my action and that's something, you know, I need to work on was ball security in that day. You know, I did that play. I didn't have really good ball security. So um, I wanted to let everyone know that, like, I wasn't, I wasn't really, obviously I wasn't happy with the situation, but you know, when things happen like that, you know, you step up to, you know, the problem and having ownership to it. And I just want to let the people know that. What, where do you think you learn that? I mean, at a moment like that, I'm not saying every player, but a lot of players would not have done what you did. I mean, would have basically no commented, got out of the locker room and hid for a couple of days. So how, where do you think that yeah. comes from in you? 
Um, I mean, I, I just think it's just for myself, I just like it's something that everyone should do, you know? I mean, uh, like I said, not all people are like that. Some people go in the locker room, they hide, don't, they don't come out for a couple of days or they don't post for a couple of days and uh, just let it, you know, pass by. Where for myself, you know, um, the people, that's when, they, that's, that's when they want to see how you're going to react, you know? Like, when are you going to react? Like, how, what kind of guy is he, you know? And, and I want to let the people know that I'm not the kind of guy to go hide and run away. I'm the guy that's going to step up and take ownership into, you know, the situation that I caused. How much, looking back at last year and the odd way the season ended and then how the team moved on from Antonio Brown, how strange was that you're watching it in real time and then it's over, and Antonio Brown's on the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, it was a situation like that. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you you talk about you know a great player, you know AB the way he is. I mean, I've learned a lot, you know, just playing with him, and had the opportunity to do that. Um, obviously, you know, he had other interests, and uh, you know, worked out to uh, to his favor. So, for myself, I mean, it's just me being the I'm the youngest guy on the team. You know, I, you know, 22 in our in our receiver room, but. I probably have the most experience in, in that room. So, you know, that's for myself to be a leader, to be more vocal. So it's pretty cool to have the opportunity to, you know, bring that stuff not upon myself, but, you know, for my guys too. Do you think you will be able to be friends with Antonio Brown in your life? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, honestly, I don't have no grudge, no hate to nobody. I mean, you know, he's doing what's best for him. I'm doing what's best for myself. And, you know, if we're ever in the same room or, ever, you know, on the same field, I I mean, I was just, he's, he's a grown man. I'm a grown man. We just have to respect the game and, you know, just move forward from the past. I want to talk a little bit about how well you're, you were suited for kind of being kind of a modern sports star in part because you're so open. You know, your life seems to be kind of an open book. You have a dog named Bougie. Yeah. A poodle, right? Uh, or a French bulldog, right? French, French bulldog. French bulldog. So, Bougie has his own Instagram account, as do you. Yeah. And on Father's Day, Bougie posted the following uh, on Instagram. Happy Father's Day to the most lit dad on earth. Yeah. So, Bougie sounds like he's a cool dog. Nah, he's very, very cool, chill dog. I, I love him a lot. He's literally, obviously, he's my son, but, you know, I treat him, I spoil him so much. But at the same time, he, he's very grateful for all the things I do for him. <laughs> and he came out to training camp? Yeah, he was here a couple of days, and I mean, the people love him, man. He's, uh, I mean, he just, he just, I mean, who doesn't love dogs, you know? And he's small too, so he doesn't cause too much drama, and he listens, so he's awesome. Um, you also recently, you saw a kid in Greater Pittsburgh who didn't have a date for his prom. Yes. I want you to explain how you found that out, and then what you did about it. Oh, so around that time, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, students send me prom dates, and I get a lot of DMs from females, and um, you know, it's always the same, you know, response like, "Hey, can you be my prom? I don't have a date. I don't have a date." And you know, this kid, he told me in his DM, he said, "I asked, I told my best friend that I wanted to take this girl that I liked, and I was talking to, and his best friend goes behind his back and takes the girl that he likes, and he was an ask." So it kind of turned back on him, so it kind of backfired. So the way I thought of it was like. Yo, we just gotta respond in a great way. So I made the kids night, obviously going with him to be his prom date. Uh, got him a party bus with, with all his friends. Um, got him a, a suit. Um, and you went, you went in twin suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. pretty cool, man. It's awesome. So we pretty much like we stole the night. <laughs> so the kid who kind of had his heart broken might have had the night of his life. Yeah, I mean, he still had a great time just because I was there and we were all, like, in a circle dancing. So, I mean, it was pretty cool, yeah. Why do you do that? Uh, I mean, for myself, it's just, like, I didn't have much to do. And I also, like, you know, I have a YouTube channel. So, it was kind of like I might as well just, you know, knock it out twice, you know, with the doing this for a kid, having fun, also making a YouTube, a YouTube video. And, yeah, it was just myself, my personality, just how I am. Um. What do you think it would have been like if you were Lynn Swan or John Stallworth and there was no YouTube, there's no Instagram, yeah, there's, there's no, no Twitter, media. there's no social media, there's none of these connections with fans. And if you have a dog, you have a dog. Yeah. But yeah. the dog is not a star. Nope. 
Uh, I, I think obviously back then, like without none of that, it's as much. How much can you do like within the city? Because all you have is you know newspapers, news, and, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So you 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 feel like you're more suited for this era of football? For sure. Um, more so like the whole social media side and the whole like that 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 broadcast and also you know just learning how to respond to you know adversity situations and problems in the right way yeah has anybody with the Steelers ever told you to tone down your act on on any of these platforms no because everything I put out um, I make sure it's good you know with my mom and everybody and if it's good you know I would never do anything that's gonna I would hurt my brand or the Steelers brand because you know in this league it's the NFL shield so not only, not only you represent yourself but you represent your coaches your teammates uh, the Steelers organization and everyone else around you. When you first heard you were coming to the Steelers, they're one of the most traditional, by-the-book organizations, you know, in pro sports, not yeah. just in the NFL. When you came here, did you know a lot about the tradition and did you know how straight-laced they were and all that? Oh, for sure. You know, when I, I mean, at Long Beach Poly, we're the same way, it's tradition, everything. And when I went to USC, the Trojans were the tradition. Yeah. So coming here, it was pretty much tradition. I think the only thing that was that I, that was really missing from this team was like the like having fun, like everyone being happy, like playing like playing the game because it's fun to do. You know, like having like those enjoyments or those excitement moments of you know those celebrations that you know we just started uh, in the NFL and like bringing that to an organization like this that's very strict and you know by the books. But it isn't only you're not just doing it for programming or anything you're doing no. it because you like doing it i mean one hour before we sat down to speak you posted a video of you dancing to a drake song yeah. marvin's room yeah and and so i mean you almost like live that yeah it's kind of like uh yeah i, I live by it. I, I don't really do it just because i i do it i do it because it's for myself you know my own pleasure it's for fun uh you know i would make funny videos and then come out here and catch touchdowns. And then go back in and make funny videos, come back out here and catch touchdowns. Yes, in between, yes, I'm studying my plays and you're doing the right stuff. You can definitely have fun on the field and off the field. At the same time, on Sundays, before the game, I'm playing Fortnite and then going out there scoring touchdowns and then win the game. And then you're come playing back home. Fortnite Sunday morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in yeah. the hotel? Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's, that's my way of like meditation, just get my mind off of just, you know, getting away from football and then coming back to it. And it's like fresh to me. Yeah. I wonder, I want you to think back into your past. You know, maybe it was somebody very close to you. Do you, do you know why you became this person who isn't a robot and who has fun and also is empathetic toward other people who feels you saw that kid and you knew that that kid was really having a bad day? And even though it was going to be something cool for you to do so you could put it out, you wanted to help that kid. What is it about your life and in your past that made you the way you are? I think, you know, growing up, like um, my stepdad, I actually called dad. He, I saw how, how hard, like how hard he worked to put, like to take care of us and our family. And it was just amazing to see, like he would, we would drop him off the, at the bus. He would bus, he'll take like two buses and then he'll hop on, he'll hop on the Metro and then he'll walk like a good like half a mile so then he would do that for about a year two years and i saw like, how much like how, how much, much it took doing. out of him it took out of him so like I what did he myself, do what did he do for a living uh so obviously he has a car now but he works at a fire department he does like paperwork and stuff like that yeah uh, for hazards and stuff like that so well it's what I, when i saw that i was like man like i would never want to have him like do that so like obviously i worked hard to to uh like get him a car take care of him like as much as possible and that's what I did, you know. Um, after seeing how much he took care of me, uh, I am a big fan of him, and I see how much power he had to take care of our family. So not only that, so this is how I get to the part where I I care so much about other people. Like I would do anything if I'm able to do it, I'm gonna do it. You know, if I'm able to pay for uh, something that you need, a computer, I'm gonna do it because I know I got it. If I wasn't able to, then obviously I, I wouldn't do it. To a certain extent, but in my heart, I just feel like the more you can give without nothing in return, that's what it's all about. 
You know, like me being in the NFL, being at 22 years old, I have so much power and influence to so many younger kids because how young I am and I can relate to cultural things, to like their kids, even to adults too, when they're like screaming, yelling my name too, I can relate to them too. Um, it just makes the game a lot easier and it just makes it, you know, fun and just to do in life. So for myself, it's like I get the enjoyment out of making other people happy instead of getting anything in return. Is that why you picked that fan who got the tattoo, had the tattoo of the Steelers shield yeah. on his head? Yeah. You picked that fan? And what? I, I don't know the full story. you got to tell me the story. He well, obviously is a guy, you know, a regular fan who just comes out to Latrobe, and he has, you know, he, on the side of his head, he has, uh, on the right side of his head, he has, like, the Stiller logo. So, okay, that's cool, you know. He's like, he was like, sign my head. And I was like, really sign your head? He was like, he was like yeah, I'm going to get a tattoo. And I was like, you yeah. I was like, if you get this tattooed, I will give you season tickets <laughs> this year for every game. And he got a tattoo. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So he came back and showed you the tattoo? He posted on social media, and everyone, okay. obviously, when it goes on, Pittsburgh News will show it, and, and then just went everywhere. And so now you're going to get him season tickets? You're okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And it's so funny, like, now, like, some other guy got a, got a tattoo. He got me tattooed on his wrist. And people are just doing it like, for fun now. Yeah. It's pretty – it's crazy, man. The fans here are amazing, too. Yeah. Yeah, the Steeler fans. My wife is from Pittsburgh, and I – Oh, sweet. You know, so – when she was growing up and I started to date her in college, I used to go to her house and her father would have a terrible towel. And in those days, no cable TV, because I'm ancient. Mm -hmm. And so he had an antenna on his TV. And so he would have the terrible towel draped over the antenna. And if he forgot to do it or whatever, the Steelers would throw an interception or they would lose. Yeah. If, if there was bad karma, there would be bad karma if he forgot to put the terrible towel up there. Wow. That's the Steeler fan. That's crazy. Where are, you, where are you from? I'm from Connecticut originally, but I met my wife at Ohio University. So are you a Pittsburgh fan? I, w I mean, I appreciate the Steelers. I'm not a fan of anybody because i got to cover everybody. You know. Very true. But, yeah. Hey, um, last question. This year, your team, this has really turned into sort of a weird division now because of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. You look at the Cleveland Browns. they got Odell and Jarvis catching balls. They're going to have Nick Chubb and... And they, they're going to have a lot. They're going to be a real force. So yeah, I wonder, very stacked. How, do you, how do you look at your division and particularly what the Browns have done to this division? I mean, they just made it very, very interesting. Uh, you talk about, I mean, you talk about Baltimore, you talk about the Cleveland. Like, you got two young quarterbacks who can, who can scramble out of the pocket and make plays on the run. Uh, you talk about the Browns and how powerful that offense is. Uh, even on their defense, they're, they're pretty solid on their defense. So with that division, it's like, it's, it used to be like Steelers dominate, Steelers dominate. Well, in this division, it's like, you know, it's up for grabs. It's everyone, everyone's good, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, like you can't sleep on them because it's always a close game in our division. Uh, so to I'm, the Bengals, to the people who live in Cincinnati, because I once did. Yeah. When they play the Steelers, it's the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. oh, for sure. I mean, they hate the it Steelers. Is, honestly, I would say that's the most <laughs> physical game I've ever played in. Is that? Right? Uh, when, whether it's home or away, it's it's a fight. I mean, our division is very tough, but playing against them, like, they go all out. And it's like, it's like you said, it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster, have a great year. Really appreciate you uh, sharing your philosophy about life. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. My thanks to Drew Brees, Freddie Kitchens, Juju Smith-Schuster, and that is one heck of a season preview spectacular right here on the Peter King Podcast. So um, I did want to tell you just a couple more things about the podcast that I have coming every Monday during the football season. Just what America needs, another football podcast. This is going to be a different kind of podcast. It's basically going to be a short-form version of my Football Morning in America column. Every Monday morning at about 4.15 Eastern Time, starting this coming Monday, September 9, I will be recording a 12, 13, 15-minute podcast at most. And when you get up in the morning, you can download it. It'll have highlights from my Football Morning in America column. And it's basically, as I say, a Cliff's Notes version of that column that you can digest 
uh, either in the shower or on the treadmill, on your morning run, maybe on your commute to work. Put it on your headphones when you're on the subway if you live like me in New York. And then, of course, you'll spend your first 30 minutes at work with your boss convinced that you are devoting all of your time to getting a head start on that workday when in reality, you're really wasting time reading my column. And I appreciate that. Uh, but let, th let that be just our secret between me and you so your boss never finds out. But anyway, I look forward to delivering that to you every Monday by 5.15 Eastern Time. Get it where you get your podcasts, and I will give you more information on that starting in my column on Monday. Thanks again for listening to my season preview uh, Peter King podcast, and I look forward to talking to you every Wednesday during the season. Five years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.